people sometimes don't have enough knowledge about what are the different options, what to look for, and what the industry is going through right now. So definitely, definitely cannot reinstate that, overstate that, just do your homework and, and, and learn early. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to episode 174. I'm very pleased to be joined today by our special guest, Dr. Yuri Rappaport. Dr. Rappaport is an anesthesiologist in Boston. He's a medical director for the PACU and ambulatory surgery at Beth Israel Leahy Health in Boston. Dr. Rappaport, thanks for joining us. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So your journey is a really interesting one. We first bonded over talking about locums, and then we've talked a little bit about financial literacy and just career decision-making and lots of, frankly, my favorite topics, being the nerd that I am. So would love to, you know, for starters, why don't you just tell us a little bit of your story and what brings us to this conversation? Sure. Let me compress uh, 12 years of a path into a couple sentences. So uh, I'm originally from Moscow, Russia, born and raised, went to medical school there, Towards the end of my medical school, I started thinking of maybe just exploring other countries in terms of uh, continuing my uh, medical training and residency training. Uh, spent some time in Europe, lived in Germany for a little bit, came to the U.S., had some friends in Texas who showed me around, showed me the medical scenery, and I really loved it. I really loved how everything was organized. It was back in 2009, I think, something like that. It was... Uh, was a rookie medical medical student, basically didn't know much, and I was really impressed. And I figured that that's something I'd be interested in to continue my medical career. So here I am. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, I spent a little time in Texas. I have a brother in Austin. I, having been to Texas from Philadelphia, I experienced, I it was like, cultural immersion to some extent, especially being in West Texas and all of that. I'm, I'm curious what your experience was coming from Moscow. What were you in Houston at the time? No, I was in Dallas, which okay. it's, it's pretty similar. But yeah, it was the first place uh, that I visited in the United States. So okay. coming from Moscow, which uh, just to give you a you know, good perspective, it's like New York, but just a little less condensed, but also like, like very, very much of a city vibe, uh, you know, very vibrant back in the day busy city. And then I uh, come to Texas, which is, you know, a little slower, a little more spread out, a little kind of a whole different vibe. So it's a little bit of a cultural experience in the beginning. A little less snow in Dallas too. Right. And the weather and the heat and uh, good thing I came, well, first time I visited was actually in August. So that was uh, a little shocking how hot it was. But uh, when I moved, it was actually December. So that was that was more of a pleasant surprise with like sort of nice weather, no snow, no cold weather that I'm used to. So that was definitely a plus. Yeah, the first time I was in Texas was in August as well. So that definitely left a dent in the psyche for sure. Talk a little bit about, you know, matching into a, an anesthesia residency coming from a medical school in Moscow. What What is that process like? Uh, that was... Uh, quite a process to be honest with you and anesthesia wasn't sort of intention initially so just to give you a sort of short perspective so my dad is a urologist he's still practicing back in russia 
And I was growing up just kind of watching him, you know, doing surgeries and, and stories and telling stories. So it was kind of running in my veins, sort of the speciality. I was always convinced that that's what I want to do without, you know, even before I went to med school and actually knew the details about it. So that's the mentality and mindset that I came with uh, to Texas. And I first started doing research for the Department of Urology at UT uh, Southwestern in Dallas. So that was sort of my intention to to go for something surgical, neurology in particular. But little did I know, I when I just came, when I just arrived, I arrived on a research student visa that they granted me so I could volunteer and do research. That was my sort of launching pad. But little did I know about how, you know, competitive different specialities are, how to get into residency. I didn't do any homework. I was like, my approach was like, I'm just going to figure it out as as we go, see what the whole process is all about. So I aimed to go to urology in three, four years after I first arrived when I was finally all set and got all my, my USMLE situation figured out and got some research and letters and ready to go. It was a very tough match for urology. It was really competitive, but for IMG, especially that year, it was extremely tough. So even though I got couple of interviews, I didn't get a, get a position. So, and uh, I guess as, as it always happens in life, it's just bad things happen to you unexpectedly. So through some uh, weird connections and friends, I met this person who used to be a chairman of anesthesiology department at LSU in New Orleans. So we really got along and he was uh, willing to help me. So he helped me to get into LSU program, uh, anesthesia. And I never thought about doing anesthesia, but it's just like all of a sudden I just thought about it. why I never considered anything else. This is this is great. So I just realized that you come from a medical family that didn't click for me before. So I'm curious, you know, when you, you know, if you compare notes with your dad about like the, the scene of practicing medicine, what do doctors in Russia talk about in terms of like the healthcare system. And obviously in the US, we've got these pressures of private practice and reimbursement and like physician burnout and 110,000 doctors quit last year. And these, I'm curious, like how uniquely American are these problems? And what do doctors in other countries, like what are they thinking about? Practicing medicine is practicing medicine, no matter where you are. There are definitely, definitely some, some, you know, differences and uh, in terms of the way things are done, the way things are organized, I would say the number one difference that kind of makes U.S. healthcare and medicine stand out is the liability part. So that is probably unprecedented and that kind of like drives the whole, the, how we practice things, how we do things, how we take care of our patient. For better or for worse, that's the probably the, the number one driver. And the second one's probably the, the, the finances and the economy and the cost of things that is also probably higher than anywhere else in the world. So that makes it a little more unique. But other than that, you know, daily practice, like how you see the patients, how you do surgeries is pretty much universal across the board. So when you say liability, you mean like the the professional liability of practicing medicine if something goes wrong, exactly. getting sued. Exactly, just the fear of getting sued. That what that what makes us, you know, do things maybe a little bit differently or a little bit safer, or just somehow shapes the way we we practice medicine. So that's kind of my sort of way I I I, I see things, and I believe not not only myself, but other doctors also think that way. So another distinction between uh, you know international 
medical school grads and the ones in the U.S. is the the financial component, especially like go, going into massive debt to be able to graduate from medical school. And I think, you know, this shapes a little bit of the financial literacy journey for U.S. physicians. And I know that you and I just briefly spoke about the way that you have sort of been on your own journey of financial literacy. So can you give us a little bit of a sense of like, where did you start in terms of the way you think about and how much you know about personal finance and investments and building wealth? And how did that change for you over time? So there are, there, there are two sides of this. So basically, yeah, as we spoke that uh, myself and people like me who come from, I can speak for maybe Eastern Europe, maybe uh, the majority of European schools. So you don't come out with a large amount of debt. In fact, like in Russia and again, other Eastern European countries, most of the time, the, the high education and the medical education is free. It's state funded. So with that being said, we come out debt free and especially one may think it's a big advantage for somebody like me who comes with, you know, that education comes to the U.S. and then comes out of residency and not, we don't have any, any debt. But at the same time, it comes with a price because we lack education. Like, I think average, you know, American uh, graduate, even somebody who grew up here, they have at least some basic understanding of how finances works, how investment works. Maybe not great. Some are obviously better and do their research and homework better. But but even growing up, you kind of have this like mentality of how to save, how to like invest, what to do, what are the like things like 401k. Like I came here, I didn't know any anything about that. Moreover, you know, I was when I came, I was obviously focusing on the medical part of my career. So I wanted to get into residency. I wanted to become a good physician. I wanted to learn. I wanted to just, you know, be able to practice and 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 dedicate a hundred percent of my time to become a good physician. So I ignored everything else uh, in life, including, you know, financial education. So basically, yes, it's beneficial. You come out debt-free, but then you like have no idea what to do with all of this. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I wonder how accurate that is. And obviously, our listeners, there's a little bit of selection bias here. If you're listening to a podcast about investing in careers and all that stuff in your specialty, you're probably ahead of the curve. But I think there's a lot of physician residents and fellows that have about as much context financially as you described you having Whenever There's you no curve at all. It's, it's not about being ahead of, you know, beyond. It's it's. There's no curve. When I came out, when I was in the final years of residency, it was like I only started sort of capturing some of the you know knowledge about it. But before that, it was like flat curve. <laughs> yeah. So for all our listeners, if you want to <laughs> help your residents and fellows, your your peers. Give the gift of the APM Success Podcast this holiday season <laughs> and uh, help get them up to speed with financial literacy. You did anesthesia residency in Louisiana. You did a regional fellowship and then you entered attendinghood. Obviously, that's a big threshold professionally as well as financially. How did you get up to speed in terms of learning about the, the 401k and the investing and the building wealth and the tax planning and all that stuff? So I think it's a, it's a great question, but I think we're better off just giving a little bit of a background when it'll happen, because that kind of explains a lot. So uh, as you know, we, we, we chatted earlier, you know, I was uh, finishing my, my fellowship training right at the time when COVID happened. So that reshaped everything, you know, life choices, career choices, financial decisions, everything kind of went a different, you know, different route. 
as I was coming from fellowship and was in the middle of COVID and that actually affected my fellowship training for better or for worse, I reevaluated my my career decisions. And instead of committing to the my first job that, that I already signed for to go after fellowship, I decided to just go a little different route and then work a little bit as an attending at the at the facility where I was trained as a fellow, just to get a little more experience and then to go and try do some locums, go travel, go explore, because I realized I really don't know much about the difference of different practices. I didn't have any ties to to the you know specific geographical location in the U.S. And I saw all my friends who were working remotely. They were just traveling and enjoying life and then working from all those nice places. And that definitely makes you kind of second guess and then think rethink your your decisions and your established career path. So that's what I what I did. Did you say anything that surprised you or what most stood out to you when you saw, you know, obviously you come up through academic medicine and you see a certain clinical context there. And then all of a sudden in locums, maybe you saw some other, you saw surgery centers, you saw some private practice. What jumped out at you? Didn't really work in uh, private practices as much as I'm trying to. Well, I, I covered, you know, wide area of facilities when I was doing full-time locums, but I don't think it was a private practice, but my, my fellowship facility was, was under private anesthesia, private group. So that was kind of a good blend of, of private group practicing in a large academic, semi-academic community hospital, and also like providing fellowship training. So that was my, my, my sort of first encounter with private anesthesia groups. Again, as we were going through COVID and there was there were financial difficulties with the group and I saw them struggling and that was one of the other things that kind of reshaped my my vision because initially I wanted to to go private to work with a private group like traditional mentality just work as much as you can become a partner so kind of traditional sort of anesthesia pathway but then I saw all those things happening and all those financial issues and that just made me and second guess and and just look for for different options as you, uh, you know, you compared notes with your other friends who were like jumping into a job after fellowship or after residency, how was their experience during COVID? And did you compare favorably or less favorably? Or what was your sort of, what was the conversation like? I think we all were going through a hard time, not only, you know, us fellows or residents, it's just healthcare in general, obviously their physicians, nurses, everyone was going through a very tough time, especially in the early phases of the pandemic. I think out of my peers and, and my co-residents and co-fellows, I'm the only one who just decided to go a completely different route and just start my career by doing locums and, and, and exploring. So I guess the, for the most part, it's because I was uh, just, I didn't have a family at the time and I was by myself. I was flexible and most of my colleagues who I was, uh, you know, either in training or working, they were mostly like having families and kids and they needed some stability regardless, even though it was this uncertain COVID times, they still just went with the plan and just went for their permanent jobs. And I mean, people are fairly happy. I guess it's what you make of it. It's not to... You know, the grass is not greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. That's what they yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. What do you wish you knew? Or is there anything if, you know, there's a lot of listeners, we talk about locums a fair amount. I think it's a great way to build wealth. If your employment, so the first thing is you got to have an employment agreement that allows for it. If your employer says you can't do anything other than work for us, that's a deal breaker or that's a, that kills it before it's even out of the, out of the blocks. But 
if if people are thinking about locums and wondering if it's right for them and wondering about the opportunity, maybe they like the financial upside, they like the 1099 income, they like being able to go to the Virgin Islands or, you know, travel around or go to the, you know, in the Pacific, like Northwest area, we've got the mountains in Montana and I am obviously loving Oregon here. If what types of um, things do you think people either misunderstand or what should they know as they're considering locums? Well, there's tons of information and misinformation. And when I was, um, when I just started doing locums, it was still in the early phases of this becoming trendy. So it was not as crowded. There were few agencies. They were, there was a lot of like information through, you know, podcasts and even your podcast. I even, you know, a lot of information I, I just gained from, you know, podcasts, Facebook groups, just things like, you know, more of a transparent field, but for example, now, just out of curiosity, I was doing a presentation about locums at ASA, and I just, out of curiosity, Googled, like, locum agencies, and there's, like, hundreds and hundreds of, of different agencies. Everyone is offering something. So now it's, I feel like for somebody who's, like, starting to do it right now, they have to be very careful. It's it's a very crowded field, and there are a lot of people who, who may take advantage of you, so... My number one recommendation is do your due diligence. And this time around, you know, unlike my early phase of my career when I just came to the United States, when I didn't know anything, this time I actually decided to do my homework and, and do all the research. And at least that that helped me a lot. Like even we're talking about basic things like legal, like taxes, like how to set up an entity, what's the what's a better entity to do, you know, do 1099 work under how to deal with those agencies or should you just go by yourself and reach out to the hospitals yeah that that really helped and as i as we chatted earlier i started off at a very stable very transparent facility which didn't offer the greatest rate but at that point i figured i just need something stable just to kind of like get a taste of it kind of get familiar with it kind of make sure you know i'm confident with my skills since i was still in in the early phases of my career. So that's probably my number one recommendation to anybody who's considering doing locums. Locums just don't don't chase the you know higher rate or or don't go for the money initially. Just kind of like test it out, go to a more established and you know up and running facility as opposed to some something that just lost their anesthesia group and and they're trying to scramble and just fill the ORs. Yeah. Imagine uh stepping into that clinical environment. It's giving me anxiety. I don't can you, I can only imagine. Uh, and that happens all the time, by the way. Like that's one of the ways that these big groups can quickly, you know, if, if there's a group with 30 anesthesiologists and they lose a contract, like there's not a lot of groups out there that can just have 30 physicians show up and start doing anesthesia care the next day. It's a lot of locums is how they sort of fill those gaps. And so some of those locums opportunities are these like takeover or what we call RFP request for proposal where hospital puts out this request for proposal and company ABC says, Hey, we can do it for 15% less than you're paying now. And then that company sends in a bunch of locums docs and that it is what it is. It's part of how the world works right now for better or for worse. And if you're one of those locums physicians, understanding what you're getting into, all of a sudden now you're talking to a bunch of surgeons who are all freaked out because the doctors that they used to work with aren't there anymore. And you know, all there's so much staffing turnover that it does create some inherent challenges. Hundred percent. It's it's interesting times, especially in regards of anesthesia. I feel like we're just going through some major reshaping of how 
healthcare in general and anesthesia in particular will be practiced and and even the business side of it, how we gonna get reimbursed. So it's 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 a major shift. That's what you know, you're not taught that in residency or medical school and just especially, you know, looking for your first job. People sometimes don't have enough knowledge about what are the different options, what to look for, and what the industry is going through right now. So definitely, definitely cannot reinstate that, overstate that, just do your homework and and, and learn early. So you did locums for a while, and now you're kind of back in, you're doing academics, you're teaching, you're overseeing some, you know, initiatives. Talk to us about your current role. Sure. So I did locums for about about a year, year and a half, and it was a great time. You know, I maybe some people have bad experience with it. I was lucky enough, but I never had a bad experience. I I worked at d- different assignments, different geographical areas, pretty much all over Northeast, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut. And I was lucky enough to just be at good facilities where, you know, I was treated well. I was able to I was working a lot, so it was uh, lucrative financially. But after about a year of doing this, I was uh, I was a little bit tired. I was a little bit tired of traveling, of uncertainty. Even though I could afford it, since I was still, you know, like no family, no kids to take care of, I could afford like not being paid for a couple of weeks if something like falls through. I just was tired of this nomad life. Plus, I was tired for kind of not, I love taking care of patients and I love the clinical aspect of anesthesia. But then I was starting to think like, okay, is this what my career gonna be all about? Like, I wanna, I wanna teach, I wanna like maybe get involved administratively. I wanna just learn how to, you know, how, how, to, how to manage practice, like, like different aspects of it. Like maybe I wanna do some research. So I just wanna, I was just, for the lack of a better term, getting a little bored. At that point, I heard about this opening here in Boston, and I knew some people here who were actually speaking highly about this job. They were going through some transition and changes and, and anesthesia staffing model. So it was a very good time to come check it out and, and you know eventually join them. So this felt like a really good fit because I got an opportunity just not to only practice clinically, but also again, do all those things. It's a residency program. I work a lot with residents. I work with, you know, nurse anesthetists, with student nurse anesthetists. I got some leadership role that I'm now very involved in. I'm trying to build sort of new ways of uh, taking care of patients in PACU. So like turning into like a mini, mini OR where, where small procedures, dressing changes could be done by anesthesia without utilizing the operating room. So there's some projects and, and that's, that's, that's what interests me. But at the same time, I'm still like, you know, doing locums here and there during my vacation, during my post-school days. I still maintain that skill of how to like find different facilities. They need coverage, that they need some help. And I still enjoy this, like to, you know, come and help some rural place that cannot serve their patient population because they can't really hire full-time staff. So I really enjoy that part, like just to, to, you know, help people and also and also just uh, supplement my my income as well. One of the things you mentioned I thought was interesting, and I've observed this, too. This is an interesting phenomenon, and it's very different from like the business world from whence I come, sort of the, the career trajectory. 
And I guess maybe in academics, this is a little different, but there are times at which you come out of training and especially if you're paid on straight production, like the more you work, the more you make, and that's your reality. And then the like, well, where do I go from here? Sort of question gets posed either externally or internally. And then it's a, well, I'm trading time for dollars and I can only, I only have so many minutes in a day. And if I want more dollars, it's more minutes. And then if I, and then there's this, I guess, question career-wise, or you could even call it like an existential crisis of where does growth come from once you're already giving all your time to make as much money as you think you want or need. So can you talk a little bit about sort of the way that you walk through that and and you talked about like short-term immediate gratification versus long-term goals and holding these things kind of in tension as you're going through these different phases of your career? So yeah, exactly. That sort of early onset of existential crisis, for the lack of a better term, that's what probably happened to me after about a year doing locums and obviously, you know, living in this COVID time, everything is expedited, this fast pace of changing environment and then you know like this unstable world that we're living in right now so it made me think a lot so what's exactly what's next the problem with anesthesia it's a it's a great speciality you know it, it allows you to you know do different things and take care of sick patients and, and just be there during the most vulnerable times of their life and actually you know it's how you uh do what matters, do do what's 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 appreciated. But also from the career standpoint, the problem with that 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 I thought was going through my head is like, again, what's next? Exactly. So what's so I'm out of residency. I've I've done I've done a fellowship. I'm pretty good at what I do. I, I got my skills. I got some experience now. I'm like, you know, about two years out of practice. That's probably I'm on top of my my performance. So how do, where do I go? Where do I go from here? How can I make myself better? How can I improve? How can I continue to develop? Because I think once you kind of stop developing and, and challenging yourself, that's that's it. That's like you not progressing anymore. And that that hit me really hard. And I was thinking, what are my options? Maybe I should come back to a chronic pain fellowship and just change the add another skill and I can scale you know, from that, and, and some of my friends actually were, who are pain, chronic pain trained, were, were advocating and were, were really pushing me to consider this option, where I was like, maybe I should go do an online MBA and also kind of like work my, work my way up in the leadership, in the leadership role. So those were the things that were going through my head. So, and do I have a one feet all answer? How to like, you know, how to how one should uh, tackle those thoughts? No, but I think I found those little things that that kind of keep me going, help me stay afloat and still enjoy my career and my life. Talk a little bit about transitioning from locums to the current role and some of the projects you undertook and some of the problems that you were trying to solve. You know, what is it that like, from a problem solving standpoint, what drew you to your current role and what types of things are you working on? You mentioned the like procedures in the PACU. That's my pretty much first major leadership role that I was assigned. When I was in uh, in fellowship and immediately after, I was uh, sort of involved in uh, regional anesthesia education for the residents of fellows and CRNA. It was a mini, mini leadership role, but this is the kind of the first actual big 
leadership task that I that I got, and I and I and I got really excited about this because there's a lot of to me there was a lot of potential, a lot of potential of kind of how to improve the outcomes, patient care, the turnover impact you both from the clinical standpoint and also like, you know, from the efficiency standpoint, from the financial standpoint. So uh, again, we're in the early stages here. I just assumed this role about two months ago. So we we started this uh, pack your attending daily assignment when there is a designated attending who whose only job is to overview pack you and make sure, you know, all the issues are addressed. If there is an emergency, it's taken care of, you know, immediately if there is a issue if somebody you know needs needs a sign out and things like that so that's the that's the that's the starting point but i'm actually trying to see if it evolves into anything bigger like again as i mentioned maybe do many procedures many do you know do more uh, nerve blocks there do things like ketamine infusion uh impact you do things like dressing changes anything that requires anesthesia could be done 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 there maybe we can also co-manage you know critically ill patients that are otherwise would go to icu but they're still there's something that we can fix in a relatively short time so they don't need to go to icu and occupy the bed and that's how we can save an icu bed and sort of again make the hospital more efficient so those are among the few things that i'm working on it's 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 been really exciting is there anything that uh, you know coming back to the is it an academic setting that you're in now? So it's not an academic center setting. It's functioning as an academic, but it's still okay. a community community hospital. Okay. So coming back to the, you know, being in one place rather than bouncing around in locums and having a leadership role and having some responsibilities for other people. Is there anything that kind of surprised you or that you found most interesting or most challenging about that kind of opportunity? Again, part of the reason to do locums, and that's what they're advertised for. It's like you no drama, there's no politics, you don't you know, need to be involved into anything, you just come to your job, it's you and the patient. And this is great. And for some people, I think that's that's a really good fit. I totally understand a lot of people don't want to deal with this, and this is this is fine. But again, for me, I just felt like I just needed a little more challenge and, and, and kind of like, kind of just to keep me motivated, just to kind of like be motivated to go to work. Not just, not that I, you know, dislike taking care of patients, which I love, but I just needed this little extra kick, little extra push, something just that will like challenge me. I definitely got this. As far as politics, yes, there is politics, there is a lot of things that are, you know, there are downsides. There are like you as a as a full time employee employee, you're involved in a lot of like, you know, back and forth and, and bureaucracy and and but I mean you can't have it all. <laughs> it's just a matter of what you're willing to accept and what are your like priorities and what you're willing to, you know, give up for it. Are there any specific moments or anecdotes or patient encounters or talking to some of the staff or, or your faculty colleagues that you recall that you were like, this is kind of what I was looking for when I decided to pivot out of locums and into a more fixed role with responsibilities that have 
I'm going to make up a word, longitudinality, <laughs> that where you're overseeing the course of a project or overseeing the same group of staff and you have to deal with the politics and the drama and some of those challenges. Are there any snapshots in time that stick in your brain as like, this is part of what I was looking for? Well, the fun, uh, funny, funny that you, that you asked that. I would say, so I moved to Boston. It was the middle of January. So, and as I came to Boston, middle of January, you can imagine it was not best time to be around. It was blistering cold, all over the place. I mean, I didn't know anybody. And at that point, I'm like, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> I could be anywhere and keep doing locums and be like in Florida in winter or whatever, the warm place in Texas, and just like take advantage of the geography. I'm like, why did I sign up for this? And especially coming to a new place, you don't know anybody. You're just like a little bit stressed your first couple of weeks you didn't know anything you're trying not to get in trouble and yeah i was i was not you know all those things together i was like what have i done but but then at some point you know it was just a combination of things it was like the weather got better spring came, came about and then i kind of got relationship with developed relationship with people it turned out to be a really nice group of people. I loved, you know, working with residents. I started starting assigning me lectures and, and just sort of like educational and wellness assignments just to, and, and, you know, I, I really, I connected with people and I felt like that's what was a game changer that I actually like connected with the people I work with, even though, you know, with locums, I had longer assignments. I was at one place like for six months and, and, and uh, felt like, you know, you you get to know these people, but it was still not the same. Even though they treated me nicely, I cannot say anything. But it was just you felt this that you're like you're an outsider. You don't belong here. You you come and go. So that that feeling definitely made me think that it was worth it. Makes a lot of sense. And I got to imagine when you're a locum's physician, even if you are somewhere for a year, you're always kind of like. Oh, that person is not really one of us. They're not really committed. They're not really, we don't know how long they're going to be here. Whenever that person comes back from maternity leave that they're replacing or whenever we finally find the full-time, whatever, then that person's going to be gone. And there can be like a reticence to like, people don't want to invest emotionally <laughs> in someone who's not going to be around. I can see that being a dynamic. Cool. But well, again, yeah. Don't get me wrong. It is, uh, I, it was not like they were not treating me right. Or I was like, like treated differently or in terms of like, you know, just daily assignments or, or, or breaks or just like, no, I was treated as in all of my locum assignment, I was treated as part of the group, as part of the pack. But, but again, you just, it's just on a kind of subconscious level, some sort of like just the vibe you could, you know, you know, you're just coming to your job and you leave. And that's, that's what, uh, what was, you know, less than ideal for me. So now when you're talking to your residents or fellows, are there any specific like nuggets or pearls that, you're try that you try to instill from a career standpoint now that you've kind of seen a lot of different practice settings and you've, you're on your own journey intellectually as well as professionally? What, what kinds of things do you share with them that are outside of like the clinical insight? No, I mean, again, probably I'm on the edge of getting out of early stages of my career, which probably still early, just a couple of years in practice. But I feel like with my diverse background and all the different places I've been to and different ways of practices I've seen and, and practiced myself, I, I gained a little bit of experience so I can sort of give people a decent advice or at least an overview of uh, how they want to, you know, 
plan their career. And that's I love I love the whole idea of mentorship. I think that's that's one of the greatest things you can do to a trainee to be there to be their mentor and not only as a clinician but also as a just sort of life advisor and that's actually one of the things that we that we're practicing in, in Leahy and that's what I've been telling applicants on the interview that that we try to to foster a relationship between an attending and a resident just throughout the residency you know taking them out just talking about what they're going through and and based on what they're looking for maybe just giving them the, the some advice on how to you know where to go where how to what kind of practice they're looking for what kind of settings you know do locums or do do full-time job or there's so many ways you can practice anesthesia right now which is which is beautiful and i think it's going to be more in the future so but it's easy to get lost in this but i really i do enjoy like i do enjoy mentoring and just sharing my experience and and making sure you know seeing the people may avoid some of the mistakes that i've done so that kind of you know makes my heart beat faster <laughs> yes Absolutely. Cool. Well, we'll end it there. Dr. Yuri Rappaport, thank you very much for joining us today on APM Success. Thank you very much. It's great to to be here. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.